Good morning. <laughs> so good to be with y'all. Uh, my name is Matt. It's a pleasure to serve on staff here at Seacoast and to be able to teach from time to time. And it's great to be here this morning with you. We're continuing on in our series called Rhythms, and we're looking at the, the movements, the practices of the everyday Christian life, things that would cultivate growth as we walk this thing called the Christian life. And um, today's rhythm, I think, I'm a little biased, but I think it's a, a real special one. And I would say today's rhythm is really the glue that holds together all of the rhythms that we've covered so far. Because here's, here's something that I know. I know that it's easy for us to show up on a Sunday morning we walk in here, we got our little bulletins, and we start to take our notes, and sweet, we listen to the sermon, we take notes, and then we fold it up at the end, and we file it away in our little, our Bibles. Some of you guys have some crazy archives of notes stowed away in your Bibles. We could probably have some kind of contest to see who has the, the longest archive. But I love that. I love that people take notes and take that. Um, what, what happens, sometimes we come in, we do that, and we walk out these doors, and we think, okay, all of the rhythms that we just learned about, whether it's, it's reading our Bible, or it's prayer, or it's rest, or generosity, we, whatever it is, we walk out these doors, and we think, those are things that I need to do alone, that I need to do on my own. Uh, so I used to be obsessed with the show 24. You guys ever watched 24? Jack Bauer? You know, like 24, I had the ringtone on my phone. It's like, bloop, 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 bloop. It was like awesome. I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm in the show. This is so cool. So Jack Bauer, you guys know Jack Bauer. If you don't, then I'm sorry. But Jack Bauer is, he's like the, the American patriot, uh, the star of 24. And every season, it's Jack Bauer single-handedly saving America from terrorists. And the classic thing with Jack Bauer is that he would, he would, you know, come together and he would be on the same page as the law enforcement, everyone. But at some point in time, he just branch off. He goes rogue and just does it on his own and saves America on his own. And I think a lot of times is that the Christian life that we and I live, we kind of view ourselves as the Jack Bauer of, of our lives where we have to go out and we have to do this thing, this Christian life thing on our own. We have to go out and we have to, we're going to go out and love Jesus and live for Jesus all by ourselves. But I think today's rhythm that we're going to cover is going to help us to bring things together. I think it's the glue that holds together all of these other rhythms that we've covered. Or maybe a better way to say it is that the rhythm that we're going to cover today is the soil that provides the ideal environment for these other rhythms and practices to be cultivated. You know, all of the rhythms that we've covered in this series were, in many ways, they were meant to be lived out and expressed in the context of community. Lived out and expressed in the context of connectedness. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the rhythm of connecting. Rhythm of connecting. And this one is, it's, it's an important one to me because I oversee all of the groups here at Seacoast. And I love this topic of connecting because I think it's important for us to understand why relationships are important when we talk about, you know, the context of Christian growth. Uh, but here's the thing. There's so much in our culture, in our society that's working against us developing this rhythm of connecting. Because uh, we live in a, a very individualistic culture, do we not? It's a very individualistic culture where... I don't know about you, but it seems like the, the, the people that we hold in high esteem are the people, they're the self-made man, they're the self-made woman, they were able to do it on their own, they're, the, they're getting it done. 
If you were to walk into bookstores now, the, probably the biggest section in bookstores are, is the self-help section. All of these different ways, all of these books, all of these different ways for us to improve our lives, become a better version of ourselves. You know, we're obsessed with DIY, you know, do it yourself. And so there's a lot of individualism in our culture. It's kind of the water we swim in. And I think at the heart of all of this individualism is really a fear. There's a fear that we all, that we have of, of being seen as needy. Because if you're needy, in today's culture, at least I feel this, if you're needy, you're seen as weak. Needing others is seen as weakness. And I don't know about you, but it's not, not every day. I don't want to be seen as a weak person. I want to be seen as someone who's strong, who's capable. And I'm sure that you guys do too. You know, because we celebrate the strong. We celebrate the capable. We celebrate the people who are independent and they're getting it done. I remember a while back, I took the Strength Finders assessment. I love Strength Finders. And, you know, Strength Finders, yes, I want to know my strengths. And so I take this assessment and it gives me the results. And I'm like, this is, this is sweet. It kind of like lines up. I felt like it, it described me pretty well. And then part of the report that, that comes back with these kinds of things, specifically Strength Finders, is that it gives you some coaching and some, some next steps of what you need to do to build on your strengths. And so I'm like, okay, well, tell me how I can do this. Every single one of my strengths, all of the coaching, all of the advice that it gave me says, you need to go find somebody who can help you do this. Uh, for this strength, you need to go help find somebody who can help you do that. And every single one of them was all these next steps. So I have to go find people to help me actually be productive. I'm like, I'm, this is strengths finders, not weakness revealer. Come on. But it was just so clear. Like every single one of those things, it was, it was telling me I needed to go find other people and to partner and to collaborate, which I love to do. But Part of me is like, come on, man, I, I want to be able to just to, to get it done on my own. I, wanna, I don't want that to be, I don't want to be seen as needy. I don't want to be seen as weak. So it's easy for us to live our lives and we're trying to convince ourselves, we're trying to convince others that we are, we're doing just fine on our own. And the problem that we run into is that that line of thinking, that way of thinking and looking at things, when we import that into the church. We, and we import that into the way that we view our spirituality. You know, we kind of, when we import that individualism into our spirituality, we kind of create a DIY spirituality. Like, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Become the person you're supposed to be on your own. And here's the thing, the DIY spirituality, the do-it-self spirituality is not, it's foreign to Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture do we see a Christianity lived out and, and expressed as though it's a solo sport. You know, in fact, it's, it's pretty, one obvious fact that we tend to overlook is that most of the New Testament letters, most of the New Testament um, letters were written to groups of people. They're written to churches. They weren't written specifically to individuals. And so the, the consistent refrain that we see throughout the New Testament is not Jesus and me it's Jesus and we. And don't get me wrong, I think there are, are very, there's personal implications for what we believe about God and how those beliefs shape our lives. There's absolutely there's personal implications, but I think we make a huge mistake when we treat Christianity as though it's only a private and personal affair. And so it's meant to be lived out in community in a relational context, all of the things, so all of these rhythms that we're talking about are meant to be expressed in a relational context where, where we can both know others and be known by them. 
And so what does a rhythm of connecting look like? What does it involve? And I want to answer uh, that question by looking at a couple things this morning. First, what a rhythm of connecting is, and secondly, what a rhythm of connecting does. So let's start with what a rhythm of connecting is. And this involves a, a couple of things. First, it involves living by design. Living by design. So you see, you and I, we need to be reminded of this often. But you and I, we were, we were created with an inescapable need for relationships. You know, all the way back in, in Genesis 1, the, early, the earliest pages of Scripture, we see uh, God. He's, he's creating everything. And so we get to see this pattern of what he intended and what his design was. And so all throughout, so in Genesis 1, we see him creating all of these things. And at the end of it, he's like, each day he says, and he saw that it was good. He created, he created uh, like fish and animal and birds and all these different things, and he saw that it was good. And at the end of it, after he creates humanity, he looks back at all of creation, and he says, it was very good. But then we get to Genesis chapter 2, and we see something that is called not so good. It's like, what, what happened? Okay, well, Genesis 2, uh, verse, two uh, Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And I will, I will make a helper suitable for him. So Adam, the first human, he lives, but he lives in isolation. And that is a problem, according to God's design. That, that's a problem. And it's interesting, the very next thing that happens. So Genesis 2, 18, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The very next thing that happens is a cool, a cool animal parade burst out onto the scene. And God brings brings all of the animals before Adam, and his job is to name them. And it's just kind of random. Like, why the timing? Like, so, man, he's alone. It's not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And then he brings out all the animals. It's like, what? what, what? That's just kind of funny timing to me. Uh, I don't know how long that would have taken. I mean, I, that's just... Anyways. Uh, what if there was like this whole trail parade of uh, animals and then there was this big blank spot and he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He, and God's like, he's like, what? Oh, ant. Next. So anyways, um, so I think the reason behind all of this is why, he, why God brings out all the animals for him is so that Adam would feel and sense his need for community, that he would, he would sense that, oh, there's, there's loneliness you know, so the animal prayed, it makes a point. The point that is being made here is that animals won't do. Sorry, all you dog lovers. Maybe there's a couple cat lovers. <laughs> animals won't do. You see, Adam needed more than a pet. What he needed was a person. And that was God's design. It's not good for man to be alone. And what's crazy about this is that all of this happens you know, the, the not goodness of Adam and alone, this is before sin enters the world. It's before the fall. It's before Satan has slithered his way into the garden. It's before there's any fingerprints on the forbidden fruit. This is all before that. And that's a, a very significant thing. I like how one author put it. He says, the first problem in human history, the first problem on the pages of scripture, the first problem in any human life was not sin, it was solitude. And this means that Adam's aloneness was not, a, was not because of his fallenness. Adam stood there in the garden, sinless, 
but he was alone, and so therefore he was incomplete. And I love how, how Tim Keller put it. P.S., one of my life goals is that one day Tim Keller would say, I like how Matt Carlson put it. <laughs> Hashtag life goals. Now he says this, Adam was not, only, was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is the one ache that is part of his perfection. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without human friends. You see, each one of us, we have a soul that, that reverberates with the, the echoes of Eden. Now, we all feel the ache for companionship, for community. It's an ancient and, and primal longing. Again, this is how God designed us. This is how he wired us. You and I are inescapably communal people. So God, what he does, he solves the problem when he creates Eve. He creates Eve, and, and now finally Adam has this, a companion. And Genesis 2.25 says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so think about that. That really is a picture of what you and I long for. We do, we long to be known, to be seen for who we are, and to feel no shame. It's something that, that each of our hearts desire because that is a part, a key, crucial part of God's design. You know, but we know the, the, the story is that it all hits, kind of hits a turning point when Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. They believed a lie. They took and ate of the fruit. And it's interesting that right after they, they eat of the forbidden fruit, the first thing that happens is that they realize that they're naked. I mean, it's just interesting timing there. He's like, okay, I'm going to be like, God, sweet, give me this. And he's waiting for the results. He's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Surprise. So it's just in the just interesting that the first thing that happens, like he realizes he's naked, and then so now he's going to go cover himself up. And so they go, and they, they cover themselves up. They hide. And this is the picture of what sin does to us. Sin, by definition, is antisocial. It curves us inward, and it drives us into isolation. And what sin did to Adam and Eve long ago in the garden, it still does to us today. It causes us to want to hide ourselves, to cover up ourselves so that people don't see who we really are. It causes us to isolate ourselves. And it's interesting that our hyper-individualistic culture, it only exacerbates this fact. Because we know we are living in an increasingly isolated society. I mean, never before. You would think with all of the technology, with all the social media platforms, with everything that is available to us, that we'd, be, we'd feel more connected. But never before have we been so connected with so many people, yet connecting with so few. Really, there is what we, what we can see is an epidemic of loneliness as pervading the culture of the world. Uh, several years ago, the results of a study from the American Sociological Review I'm always reading that, by the way. Um, now, I, saw, I came across this, that they said Americans have a third fewer close friends and confidants than just two decades ago. A, and it's a sign that people may be living lonelier, more isolated lives than in the past. 
1985, the average American had three people in whom to confide in, people with whom they could share the things that were most important to them. And then two decades later, in 2004, that number dropped to two, which, and one in four people had no close confidants at all. So I know that there's some of us here that don't like to open up to people, but that's not what this, is, this report is saying. It's saying that even one out of four of us, even if we wanted to open up, we wouldn't have anybody to open up to. It's an epidemic of loneliness, and it's not just an American problem. It's actually a problem that exists across the world. I was reading earlier this year that the UK, maybe some of you have heard this, the UK just appointed a minister for loneliness. I mean, they're, they're hiring people, they're bringing people on in an official capacity to, to fix this, the problem, the epidemic of loneliness. They've realized that loneliness is it's a serious problem and it's connected to all kinds of health-related issues and depression and dementia and anxiety. And so they, they, they appointed a minister for loneliness. I was, I was also searching this past week and I came across a website where you can rent a friend. Guys, Valentine's Day is coming up. I'm just saying you can rent. No, you can rent a friend to, to hang out with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Paige showed me this video too where there's a guy who's a, he's, instead of dog walking business, he's got a people walking business. So he walks around and people contact him and they want to have uh, someone to walk with and to have conversation with. And this guy is the guy. And so he's the people walker. I feel like some of you would be really good at that too. So people, what this shows, like people are starving for companionship. Why? Well, it's because they were created for it. They're paying for it and they're starving because it, was, it, it reveals that there's something, there's something true about us here is that we are wired for relationships. We're created for community. Again, this is all God's design for us. But sin it curves us inward. It drives us into isolation. It, it causes separation. But I'm so thankful that God did not let sin have the final word. You know, back in the garden when it would have been perfectly just for God to just to, to kill Adam and Eve, to, to do away with them because the wages of sin is death, as Romans says, he would have been perfectly just to just get, over, get rid of them. But instead, he chose instead to kill an animal in order to clothe and to cover their nakedness. And because they, they, they had wrapped themselves with fig leaves, and we know fig leaves, right? They're, they're eventually going to, to wither away. So fig leaves are not an adequate or a sufficient covering. And so God gives him his covering, a much more sufficient one. And that's such an act of mercy. And what's so cool is as you're reading the story, you kind of begin to see these, the, you know, the, the whispering, the hinting at, there's going to be one day a future death that happens. It's not going to be an animal. It's going to be the Son of God who dies on the cross for our sins, for our shame, to cover us with his righteousness, his forgiveness. And so like Adam and Eve, our sin, our shame, it causes us to want to cover up our nakedness. And we all have our, our token, classic, like our own version of fig leaves. For some of us, it's achievement. It's having a veneer of success. It's being a likable person. It's being a helpful person. If, if, people, if, I, if people feel helped by me, 
then I feel like I have meaning. If I'm, if maybe it's performance, maybe it's being seen as a perfect person, maybe not even perfect, but just a capable person. So we, we do whatever we need to do in order to kind of wrap ourselves with our own fig leaves. And that's sin. It, it causes us to hide the real us. It causes isolation and it causes separation. But the good news, and I love this, Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 2. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You were once far away. You were far, you were dirty and distant, but because of the blood of Christ, he's brought you close and he's made you clean. A few verses later, he continues on. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so this is huge. It's like he's saying that everything that God, uh, every, everything that sin has done to separate us, Jesus is bringing back together. You once were dirty and distant. He's brought you and he's made you clean and close. But this is not where it stops. It also goes on and says that he's woven us into his family, into his household. We're no longer foreigners. We're family. And I can't remember who originally said it, but I love the quote. It says, God not only saves us from our sin, he also saves us from our solitude. So God not only saves us as individuals, but he also saves us into community. And really, there's a, there's a lot of different metaphors used throughout Scripture to describe the family of God, and one of them is a body with Jesus as our head. In Romans 12, Paul writes, In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I love this, a, a tweet that came um, from a guy named Chad Bird. He says, there are no solitary Christians leading independent lives, needing only Jesus, but not the church. Just as there are no solitary toes or ears leading an existence apart from the human body, needing only a personal relationship with the creator, but not the rest of the body. So imagine that, just a bunch of like ears and toes and phalanges, just phalanges everywhere doing their own thing. No, we don't do phalanges. The body's meant to be connected, to be nurturing one another, to be caring for each body part. And that's, so that's really the, the first part of what a rhythm of connecting is. It's living by design. It's living the way that God designed us to live. And so understanding that we are created for community. We are created for community. And because of what Jesus has done for us, it makes us family. We are one body. And with the body of Christ, there's no such thing as amputation. No one's going anywhere. We are all here to stay. And so we need to learn what does it look like to, to live by design, to, to lean on one another, to work together, to love one another well. Love one another well. And that brings us to the second aspect of this rhythm of connecting. That's loving in the deep. Okay, some of you guys are going to judge me right now. But when I'm out in the ocean and my feet are not touching the ground... I'm freaked out. <laughs> I like have to be touching at all times. On the outside, I might play it cool, like, <laughs> what's up? Yeah, we're, we're doing, this is cool. Inside, I'm like, ah, what's the ground? What's the ground? And as soon as I can feel the ground, I'm like, okay, I'm good. 
like deep is dangerous for me. Uh, don't judge. Uh, I'd say a lot of us were afraid of the deep and within our own souls. It freaks us out because that's where the mess is. That's where we, we hide the parts of ourselves that we are ashamed about. And we're convinced, we have ourselves convinced that if you really knew me, if you really came into the deep end of my life, you would not like what you see and you would reject me. And so we're kind of like in this, in this hard place. We're trapped. We're, we're trapped in between our, our deepest desire and our fundamental fear. Our deepest desire is like we want to be known when, and, and truly known. And not, just, not the fake version of me known, but I want you to know that the good, the bad, the ugly, but then at the same time to be truly loved. And we're convinced, or maybe our certainty is that both of those can't happen at the same time. Both of those can't happen at the same time because if, if you say, like, I love you, all of us think, well, when you say you, you're, refer you're referring to the you that I project out there. That's the you that you love and so we, we were highly suspicious because I've been projecting out this false version of myself. You say you love me, but do you love me or you love my persona? We're sure that we cannot be known and loved at the same time. And so we're stuck. We want to be known. We want to be loved, but we're afraid to be known because if we, th we think that we won't be loved, and so life just goes round and round and round like this masquerade, and it, life really becomes about the process of trying not to be known. And so we just hang out. The, you know, we're like, deep is dangerous. And so we hang out in the shallow where our feet can touch the ground and where we aren't vulnerable. But here's the thing is that we need people who are, will venture into the deep with us. We need friendships where we don't just snorkel, but we scuba dive. Come on, it's okay. <laughs> we don't just snorkel, we scuba dive into each other's lives. I'll give you a moment to write that down. <laughs> just it's in those, because it's in those deep places, that's where God wants to heal us. That's where he wants to set us free. It's in those deep places, the places that we keep hidden. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He wants to, to, to permeate and to enter into our in, the inner being, the, inner, the deep end of our lives. Where the mess is, he wants to come there and God loves to meet us in the mess and bring his mercy. And grace is not, and he wants to give us his grace, and grace is not a gift for us when we're able to, finally able to pull ourselves together, pull it all together, then grace. No, grace comes for the, to the person who's willing to admit and to confess that they're falling apart. And at some level, that's all of us. It's in the deep places of our souls, our inner being, where God wants us to experience his freedom. It's in the deep places of our soul where we need to be reminded of what is true. And my question for us this morning is, who are those people who can go there with you? Who are those people? Who are the people that are, that are in your life that you can, that can go there with you? 
Because loving in the deep, that's actually how we grow. It's being transformed from the inside, our inner being. Loving in the deep is how we grow. It's how we heal. Paul, in Ephesians 4, he says this to his friends in Ephesus. He says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. For in him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so speaking the truth in love, it's not just, let me just tell you, give you my opinion and say something and tag on, I love you at the end. It's not, dude, that shirt makes you look fat, but I love you. <laughs> That's not, no, it's Paul saying it's not just any kind of opinion that we're supposed to speak and say, I love you. It's a specific kind of truth. And just a few verses later in verse 21, he says, that truth is in Jesus. And so that's how we love in the deep. That's how we love in the deep. It's, it's being willing to, to enter those places in people's lives. And I need that. I have a thing. I suffer from a thing I call gospel amnesia. And I constantly am forgetting what I possess in Christ. And so I go out looking behind every worldly tree and under every worldly rock for that thing that will satisfy. But no, I need people in my life who are gonna stir the goodness up. They're gonna stir what's good inside to remind me that everything that I need in Christ, I already possess. Uh, another aspect of this loving the deep is um, found in James five sixteen. It says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. By the way, it's one thing to confess, I sinned. It's a whole other thing altogether to confess your actual sins. Confessing your actual sins takes a big, beefy, God-given confidence in the truth of the gospel to actually acknowledge and confess the mess about yourself because now you're getting specific and now you're risking rejection. So for that kind of risk, you better have a big gospel. And the good news is that we do. I know this may sound crazy, but I mean, imagine in our relationships, if we, we took with the idea, imagine if, like, what if the cross actually worked? <laughs> what if the resurrection actually worked? What if Jesus wasn't lying on the cross when he said, it is finished? Imagine that, taking that into your relationships, the amount of freedom that you would have to know, like, the cross actually worked. I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God. It actually worked. I'm, the resurrection worked. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I don't have anything to pretend, protect. I don't need to pretend anymore. Imagine the, the, the life-giving nature of our relationships if we took that into it. So the gospel provides us with the resources that we need in order to love one another in the deep. And being known and loved in the deep, being fully known, all, all warts and all, and fully loved and accepted, that's exactly how God loves us. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Not when we got our act together, while we were still sinners. And so being fully known and being fully loved is the way that God has loved us. And so we get to put that on display in one another's lives. So again, who are those people that you can love in the deep? You can love in their deep end. You can invite them into love in yours. And it doesn't need to be 15 people. If you're in a life group, it doesn't even have to be your whole life group. But I'm just talking about like another person, two, three, that can 
you can give them the all-access pass to go there with you, to speak truth into your life, the truth of Jesus. So who can you cultivate that rhythm of connecting with in order, again, to live by design, living out how God designed you to be and to be known and loved in the deep? So that's what the rhythm of connecting, what it is. Let's look at what the rhythm of connecting does really quickly. I think it simply is it puts the gospel on display. The rhythm of connecting, it puts the gospel on display. I love what Jesus says here in John 13 to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' words here, really, it's a cool convergence of this idea of like living by design. So he, Jesus brought together his disciples to, do, to be on mission with him and to do life with him. And then that to love one another, to know each other as I've loved you, love one another. So there's this, there's this living by design. There's loving in the deep going on there. But there's this extra element here that I want to call out. Jesus adds another aspect of this. It says, all men will know you are mine by the way that you love one another. And this, over the past few years, I've been kind of thinking through this particular verse, and it really, something is starting to click for me, is that the way in which that we love one another, living by design, being connected, being in relationship, loving in the deep, the way that we love one another is going to be a, an amazing witness, a testament, an apologetic for the gospel in the lives of other people. But the question is, is how are they going to see the way that we love one another? How are they going to, to actually observe that if they're not with us, if they're not a part of this, if they're, you know, if they're just out there on the outside? Again, I'm thinking, oh, I'm a, the Jack Bauer. I'm gonna go out and reach my neighbor by myself. But my neighbor needs more. This is what clicked. My neighbor needs more than me. I don't in myself possess the resources to put the gospel on display in a full, robust way in someone else's life on my own. Something, something amazing happens when people are invited into the family to begin to see the way the family loves one another and then that they would see that God loves them that way. And so this is an amazing opportunity for us to, to be a family on mission. Uh, a few years ago, our neighbor that lived above us, his name was Alex, it is Alex, uh, he, you know, he was like, I got, was getting to know him over time, and we would have some spiritual conversations. The guy was just a, a very smart, well-fortified, argued, like, you know, he, he knew his stuff, and he was an atheist, very opposed to God, and he was, you know, very fortified. And so I'm like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know what to say to you. But we just I kept on hanging out. Alex's life eventually unraveled. It fell apart, and what was really cool about that <laughs> is... <laughs> Uh, our, our life group had been coming over to our house all the time. They were constantly over. We weren't just doing a, you know, hey, a Monday night study and I don't see you forever. It was, it was like all throughout the week, there was, you know, people from our life group coming over. So they got to know Alex too. And it was just cool because when Alex's life fell apart, there was a group of guys in our group that were able to come around him and to love on him. I don't know how it happened, but he ended up coming onto one of the, the men's retreats that we did. Like, again, hardened atheist, but life's falling apart. But he, he's now on the men's retreat with us. And one Sunday, uh, he actually showed up here uh, 
on a Sunday morning, and there was this moment in time where, so we were sitting like right over here, circled up with him at the end of the service. Again, he had like lost his job. His, him and his wife were getting divorced. A lot of things were just unraveling. I remember sitting there, and our group came around him, and we prayed for him right here, and there was this moment I just thought, this is not me. This is we. We get to do this. I'm on my own. I don't possess the resources in order to love Alex well, but here I am, our, our whole group coming around him, loving him. It was, just, it, it was a different, it was a whole different thing, a whole different experience. And it takes the burden off, it takes the pressure off when you're able to do that together, to love one another well and to invite people into that. That was, that was a difference, like a change of mind, a paradigm shifting thing for me. I'm no longer trying to go out and try to be everything to everyone on my own, but let's be a community living by design, loving one another well in the deep, and being a family that, on mission, inviting other people to be a part of that family. It's, it's everywhere around us. There's people who are longing to be connected. Again, what, the, what sin separates, what causes isolation, the gospel brings together. And there's a lot of people out there who are just, they're living isolated lives. And we don't have to have all of the answers and be able to fix everything that's going on in our lives. Sometimes just come and be with us and looking for ways to do that. And that puts the gospel on display. Again, we're, we're putting on display a love, a sacrificial love from God that he has for us and putting that on display to the world. And we're not pointing to us and our, ourselves, we're pointing to the source of that love, namely Jesus Christ. And it's that love that we come and remember and celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to, over the next few minutes, the band's going to play a couple songs and we're just going to celebrate what God has done for us, what he's provided in his son. When um, at, at some point, just make your way over to one of these tables, grab a friend, go as a family, go together, and to take the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was given for you, and the cup, which represents his blood, which it represents the, the, uh, the forgiveness of our sins. And let's take those elements together as a family. You can take them, you know, you don't, don't have to wait for us all to like do the holy crunch together. <laughs> uh, but spend some time doing that, taking those elements. And again, Jesus said when, when, when he, he instituted the Lord's Supper, he, he said, do this in remembrance of me. I know at times it's easy for us to be sitting in these, in these seats and we're thinking through all of our own lives. Am I worthy? Am I worthy? Or I got to wait till I'm worthy to go over there. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're as worthy as you're ever going to be. You're as forgiven as you're ever going to be. So we're not going to the table in remembrance of us and what we've done and what, like how good of a life we live or even how bad of uh, how much we've failed. We're doing this in remembrance of Jesus. So let's do that. Again, we're celebrating that we once were dirty and distant, but because of Christ, he's brought us close and he's made us clean. So let's take some time to do that now.